0: You know, it has been one of those kind of days. We showed up here, forgot all the music sheets at home, and the bass. And so there's just been a lot of things this week, but uh, how many know that that's sort of how life goes, right? Stuff happens all the time. If, if we wait for everything to be perfect before we expect God to do anything, it's like, wrong, wrong. It's, in fact, he does stuff in all of the imperfections. And so, God, I thank you for this group of people gathered tonight and pray that you would speak your word, take it off the page, inscribe it on our hearts, and change our lives by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Just okay, check. how many Just, have... Um, okay, I'm... checking. <laughs> Yeah, it's working. Thanks. My bad. Okay. Now I can use my hands. Okay. How many have experienced this feeling uh, before? You begin to read a book, a novel. Uh, a story, maybe maybe even a short story, or you begin to watch a movie and uh, the first character or characters are introduced there's maybe a setting introduced and some circumstances, and uh, you feel kind of an anticipation about where this is going. But there's also kind of a, often, kind of a tension there, uh, kind of a restlessness at the beginning of a story, because this character is introduced, and this character, and it's in this setting, and you're trying to determine, wait a minute, what's the connection here? They showed this, and they showed that, and I'm, 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 I'm anticipating where it's going, but th- these things aren't connected. At first, and it's kind of like, you know, how, how is this going to go down? And um, they ha- even before the conflict has been introduced. Sometimes there is kind of that restlessness that I'm. I know I'll figure it out. I know I'll get to see something uh, at some point down the road. But at the moment, all the parts aren't connected. Now, when Jesus comes to live among us, as one of us, which is what we celebrate during Advent, there's anticipation for sure. What Taraz was talking about in terms of hope, and we, we mentioned it last week, hope is anticipation. Hope is, and, and Bible hope is not, as I said, not a very faint possibility. No, Bible hope is anticipation of something that is certain because of who it is we're hoping in. That's why the Word says, Blessed are those whose hope is the Lord. Because if our hope is Him, even if it doesn't go down the way we wanted, and it rarely seems to, it will be good, and, pr- and actually it'll be better than if we scripted it, right? How many have found that? Where I'm praying for a certain outcome, and I don't get that outcome, but even in the short term, sometimes I don't see it, but the outcome is better than I would have chosen. I can think of times I where I had a... A job. When I moved back to Alberta many years ago, I came out to BC, played in a band, moved back to Alberta. I was unemployed and um, I uh, drove a taxi for a little while. A guy had a couple taxis and he said, Oh, you can make some money and work for me. And so I drove his, one of his cabs. And there were times that something would happen. A fare would fall through. I'd drive to this area and then at the very last second, get a message on the little computer readout and it would say, Oh, they canceled. And it's like, there were certain times where, you know, a lot of things had happened in a day, you know, just how, again, how life is. And I'd be like, <clears throat> and I I was frustrated. And then God worked it out that something, by what looked like bad circumstances, he'd work it out that something much better took place. Had I done or had what I thought was going to be a fair, you know, to... Um, Affair. F-A-R-E. Had an affair. Okay, let's get this straight. All right. Yes, um, that went in unexpected direction. Okay, I thought I was going to have a fair, meaning a ride, take somebody somewhere, and it didn't work out, but instead I'm sitting there like, ah, oh, that fell through and I haven't made any money, and now somebody needed a ride to the airport. Or something, which in Edmonton is outside the city, and it was like a a great trip. So I'd have that kind of thing, and God would work it out. He does those kinds of things, amen? He does those kinds of things all the time. In fact, it's one of God's strong suits. But Jesus comes to be with us, and we don't get it. The people didn't get it. He's coming, it's been foretold that Messiah is going to come. Christ the Savior is going to come. And when He comes, there's anticipation because it's God who has prophesied this and spoken it. But there's also that tension and unease because the story, His story, is going somewhere and we're not perceptive enough to figure out exactly where. Nobody was. Even even the experts the the experts in the law the people who had been poring over the old testament and they knew it like nobody the even those people went in fact in many cases especially those people they didn't get where it was going they saw something in the story and when jesus appeared they really Didn't understand where that part of the story was going. Now, to be certain, we know that Jesus' arrival was not the beginning of the story. There had been thousands of years of history already, but it was like the beginning of a new chapter, right? There's still something fresh and new it's a new start a new beginning it's like the beginning of a new chapter in his story in history now we can't tie all the characters and the setting and the circumstances and the many layers of conflict we can't tie it all together we're not perceptive enough to see where it's all headed but god knows god knows where the story's going amen he's he's seeing it from and uh, a bird's eye view, an aerial view, you know sometimes you see these photos of a beautiful mountain side, and you know there's a lake, and everything looks gorgeous in that picture, and a beautiful place, but it 's different. When you're on the ground in it, right? It's not quite, and and I'm not saying it's not beautiful. There's aspects that are more beautiful. But when you see the aerial shot, it's like majestic mountains and a beautiful crystal lake and everything. But when you're down on the ground on the trails, you're down there where there are bears down here. There's, you know, there's muck, there's stuff. There's, it's a little bit different. So God has a view. He has the big picture. We have the view down here. We don't realize that the lake is right there. Uh, we, we don't see the picture uh, that clearly. So God knows where the story is going. And many aspects of the story he prophesied hundreds of years earlier. Uh, he prophesied what he'd do, just like what Taraz was sharing about that prophecy from the Psalms. And I want to read a passage in Hebrews tonight that quotes also one of the Psalms and a prophecy about the coming of Christ, that it's about the coming of Messiah, even though many people may not have ever caught that significance to that particular passage but this passage isn't so much about his birth but about where the earthly life of the son of god was headed and why he came to be one of us that miracle of god stepping down from the glory of heaven to live among us god knows where the story is going God knows where the story's headed. And he gives us a little glimpse in this prophecy. And the writer of Hebrews now bears that out as to why he came to be one of us. And I'll give you a hint. It's a really happy ending for us. It's, a really ha- it's, it's better than a Hallmark Christmas movie. Really. Even better than that. All right. I don't know if people maybe don't watch Hallmark Christmas movies and don't know what that is. Hallmark Christmas movies are are sort of yeah, the commercials are better. They're they're sometimes poorly acted, but usually in about the first 30 seconds you you can see that girl and that guy who appear to hate each other at the moment will be yeah, they'll be married by the end and everything'll work out and they'll get buckets of money usually as well, which Yeah, that's just how it goes. But let's read Hebrews chapter 10, (laughs) verses 1 to 18. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have seen... I'm sorry, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins or any awareness of their guilt is another way you could say that. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, When he comes into the world, and several translations there take out he, and they just put Christ, because that's who it's speaking about. Therefore, when Christ comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, parentheses, which are offered according to the law. Then he then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second by this will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, hang on. I know there's a lot of sort of ritual talk in here, but we'll, I'll, I'll um, hopefully help with some of that. And every peer, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered... One sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for him, sorry, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Thank God for his word. So, he says... He reads, He states this first part. The law was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form or the substance of those things. The law was just types and shadows. It was foreshadowing what was coming. So they offered those sacrifices again and again. They had to operate by faith. Okay, God prescribed this. As he even says then later, these sacrifices were offered according to the law. They, that's, God prescribed that. So, um, when Christ came into the world, that's what that says. Uh, he says, a body you have prepared for me. And behold, I have come. Remember, Advent means to come or to arrive. Behold, I have come to do your will, God. They were, these, uh, these sacrifices from the old covenant were according to the law. So it seems, how could God say that he takes no pleasure in them? He told them to do those things. But wait, verse 9 says, He takes away the first, the first order of things, the first covenant, in order to establish the second. Christ came to fulfill God's will, not just offer these types and shadows, those sacrifices, which it says, the sacrificing of bulls and goats could never actually take away sins, but by faith, they said, okay, God prescribed this. This is what God said to do in this case. So I'm doing what God prescribed until the sacrifice comes. And when Jesus arrives, he says, behold, I've come to do your will. Now we've got the substance, not just the foreshadowing, not just the representative sacrifice. Now we've got the real deal. That is, he came to be the sacrifice, not just to offer it, but to be the sacrifice that all of the ritual sacrifices represented. From all those years, they offered those things it isn't that Jesus' death and resurrection looked a lot like those sacrifices. Those sacrifices looked like him. Yeah. So when you go through something like a Passover dinner, the symbolism and what's in that dinner is so extraordinary. It's like, wow, this is just like what Jesus did. It's like, no, actually, what, Jesus, what those things did are just like Jesus They were were copying him. So, he takes away the previous order of things, the old covenant, because it's been replaced by a new covenant and a better sacrifice, the, the substance sacrifice. The sacrifice that all the old ones represented. Similar to how... We have the bread and wine, or in this church, we drink grape juice when we do communion. The bread and wine represent Jesus' sacrifice, and we're going to take communion in just a moment together. We take the bread and the cup that represent the body and blood of Jesus, and we're looking back. Those two small symbols look back at the body and blood of Jesus. In the old covenant, their sacrifices were looking forward. One of the big differences here, in fact, I'll say first, we're looking back, they were looking forward. In both cases, faith in God was the key ingredient and the difference between this being an effective expression of worship and a dead ritual. If it was just seen as I offered my goat, I offered the lamb, I offered, you know, uh, a dove or something, I offered a meal offering, uh, you know, this kind of thing. I did it, but it was just like, "Ah, I just got to pay my due and do it. How much impact do you think that had? Just as much as taking communion where it's just, this is just, you know, Bread and this is grape juice. No, faith is the active ingredient. I'm doing this because Jesus said, remember me in this. I take the bread and I, his body hung on a cross for me. His blood was the price of my forgiveness and cleansing and I do that by faith and I every time I do it I can say God I may not even be emotional about it but I believe what you said this represents I believe in the cross of Christ that he died on that cross for my sins and because of it and because I've been impacted by the that glorious work of um of uh Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? That glorious act of atonement. Him taking the punishment. Him taking the shame. Him taking my sins upon Him. So that I instead get His rightness. His righteousness. He paid it all. And I have faith in Him for that. Amen? And the people in the old covenant who actually gave their lamb and they believed that Oh, this is a sin offering, and I 'm offering it because i I uh, trust and adore the living God. They went away justified because by faith, that was looking forward like our communion is looking backward. I heard one year we had a messianic Jewish rabbi come and do lead us in a seder in a Passover dinner. And he said this thing, and I probably told it to you before, if I have, you know, sorry for that, but he said when they would sacrifice a lamb, that they didn't just take that thing and kill it, there was, a, they would lay it on one, there was one side they would always lay it on, I'm, I don't really remember why that was, but they, then before they would sacrifice the lamb, they would get down and they would look in its eyes and recognize the cost of the sacrifice. This thing's alive. This thing's about to lose its life. So they would look in the eyes and know, oh, this is a costly sacrifice. Now, it's bearing the cost for me. But just so that I'm aware, oh, this is, this is costly. This isn't just, you know, uh, bring me, a, you know, a something, you know, a mosquito, you know. I mean, we'll happily sacrifice some of those, but bring something that costs. And in many cases, like at Passover, they would have had that lamb around them. It would be bordering on pet territory by now. If you've ever seen those you know, videos that get put out of lambs, they're, they're cute it would be pretty easy to you know love having that little thing around it's adorable and now you're going to look in its eyes it's like it's a costly sacrifice and people who did that in faith like they're looking forward like us looking back and saying this bread and this cup represent the body and the blood of Jesus that's the difference between an effective expression of worship And a dead ritual. I want no dead rituals. I don't want any of them. I don't need them. I realize ritual doesn't have to be dead. If we understand what it is. And we actually do ritual with faith. Just like this kind of thing. This, you know, it's not like this is magic and, oh, we have an advent wreath. We're protected from anything that the enemy would throw at us. No! But it, it's, a, it's a representation of something that gets us to, oh, yes, remember, hope, love, peace, jo- uh, joy, peace. And Christ, that center, he's there. And this, as, as we explained that... Ritual can have meaning. Amen? It's It must because Jesus told us to do communion and remember him every time we did. Jesus told us to baptize people. He told us to do that. Now the difference, uh, maybe I can get somebody to uh, hand out the emblems of uh, just, oh, if we think positive thoughts about being forgiven. No, the redeeming, sacrifice, offering of Jesus, really did purchase forgiveness for us, complete for all sins. That's what this passage says. For those who respond in faith, look at verse 18. There is no longer any need for another sacrifice. It's over. That old system is Is done because the sacrifice has been offered. God says in the previous verses here, in verse 12, He says, He's offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Thank you, Jonas. He's offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Verse 14. Because by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified or consecrated by him. And their sins and their lawless deeds, he says, I will remember no more. So Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. And in remembering him, we remember that God will remember our sins no more. Our sins and our lawless deeds are forgiven and put away. Does that mean he actually doesn't know what happened? No, I've heard people say that, that no, God can't remember when you say, you know, because I know he does it with David. He says, David walked uprightly except for the issue with Bathsheba and her husband. He he remembers it but he doesn't remember it in terms of the judgment of it. The judgment part of it, the condemnation part has already been addressed. Thank God. Thank God. I remember things sometimes that I regret. I know some people say they have no regrets. Well, I can't say I'm that fortunate. I've got some things in my life that I think back to how I treated people and I'm really sorry about it. I regret how I treated people. And I can look and say, I I know I wasn't a believer then, or in some cases I was a believer, I was just selfish, and I did something. And I have those but i know i'm not going to be condemned for it because it's already been forgiven i just hate that it ever even happened that i ever did that to somebody and in some cases i just wish i could see that person and just say to them you know how sorry i am that kind of thing because there's th- but god he so he He can remember it. He would know it, but he chooses, no, as far as, wait a minute, as far as east is from west, I've removed your sins from you. It's like, it's gone. Your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Everybody just say, no more. There's no... Oh, to have our sins forgiven and forgotten forever. No condemnation related to them. It's already been judged. It's already been seen as, oh, this was on Christ, and then buried in the grave with Him and left there. It's over. This is where the Advent Christmas story is going. I told you it's a happy ending, it's the happiest ending. And Jesus came with this purpose. This was his purpose. He says, when Christ comes into the world, he says, sacrifice an offering you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. And your will was to be this sacrifice. Now that might seem like a bit of a a dark Uh, Advent Christmas message, but I don't think it's actually dark. It's the brightest thing that's ever happened to us. He came and said, all of the darkness I'll take on myself so you get to be free. If you believe. By faith. You can have all of that crud taken off. And it's life transforming, isn't it? It's life changing, isn't it? It's not like anything else. It's the happiest ending. That's why we can sing. It's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year, of our lives, of eternity. He says, behold, I have come to do your will. He, and he didn't just figure it out as he went along or make the best of the circumstances. He came with this purpose. At the end of Jesus' life, just the night he was betrayed, he said, My heart's heavy, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, No, for this for this purpose I came to this hour. This is why I came. This is what my first advent was all about. That's what my arrival was about, was to take care of business for you guys. So that, as somebody said... God took on flesh and came to earth so that we can take on a body like His and live in heaven. He came to live here to do for us what we needed done. So, and then to go prepare a place so we can live with Him forever in heaven. God knew before Jesus arrived what needed to be done so that we can draw near to Him and know Him. There was a barrier that wouldn't allow that to happen. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. He took care of that barrier so that we can enjoy life in him forever.